Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So there's been something very interesting playing out in the global markets in response to a recent announcement by Mario Draghi and the ECB. And 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 understand that this video, the, the extent of this video, this podcast, goes far beyond just this, this one announcement from the ECB. But I think it definitely proves the point of, of what I'm talking about in the title of this video, central banks pushing on a string. And basically, what this announcement was, was, you know, uh, only a couple months after halting their, their QE program, uh, the ECB is, you know, announcing a, a new round of easing, uh, dovish uh, uh, moves uh, with with the attempt to to ease financial conditions and boost economic growth. Now it's not QE; they're using some other uh, uh, tools, I guess, in, in their toolbox to 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 do this. Uh, but but it's in, being interpreted as dovish, and it's in response to uh, what what the ECB interprets as as really lagging economic growth in the EU. Now this is something I've talked about for a while. I mean, they have plenty of headwinds in terms of of societal and political. Uh, headwinds, uh, but but they also have you know some other factors that are really playing into to poor economic growth in the EU, and so that's why the ECB is coming out with uh, some some more dovish policy. Now that's not surprising. I mean, central banks tend to always be not always, but oftentimes more dovish than people expect, especially uh, around the end of the cycle. They always eased faster than people expect, etc. What's been surprising is global markets and their response to this easing. Now. We're, we're, we're only a matter of hours out from, from when this announcement has been made. But the response has been kind of the opposite of what we've seen as a whole over the last 10 plus years. Markets, namely stock markets, have been down, especially European stocks and European bank stocks. They've been down in response to this easing. And, you know, to give a bit of history, that's, again, the opposite of what we've expected or what we've seen over the last, you know, roughly 10 years since the financial crisis and the Great Recession. You know, if you go back to 2008, 2009, over the short term, I mean, it was central banks and governments, but central banks that saved us from a lot of short term pain. They, they pushed that out, right? They pulled forward economic growth and they pushed out economic ruin uh, out to the, to the future, wherever that might be. In 2008, 2009, you saw governments, you saw central banks come up with a ton of stimulative programs such as 0% or in, in some cases negative interest rate policy, quantitative easing, and all sorts of other uh, you know, spending from, from governments with the intent of stimulating economic growth growth and it worked the the great financial crisis the great recession could have been much much worse now i would argue and many others would argue that it should have been allowed to run its course that it would have been a healthy purging of of debt of of bad assets etc and that today in 2019 or certainly in the time period afterwards after this this really tough period we could be experiencing very robust economic growth but instead they chose the easy way out over the short term 
And since then, that's kind of been the name of the game. Whenever the global economy appears to be faltering, whenever the stock markets appear to be faltering, you see either the Fed, their European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of England, People's Bank of China, or or various other smaller central banks, or, of course, governments in the form of of massive spending or, or tax cuts or whatever, they step in to try and provide a stimulus. And to date, it's mostly worked. They've caused inflation. They've they've distorted markets. They have uh, caused a lot of ruin. And, and, and as I said, they pushed out a lot of economic ruin into the future and trying to pull back uh, ever, ever smaller and smaller amounts of economic growth forward. But it's worked. But at what point will it no longer work? At what point will central banks find themselves pushing on a string. And are we at that point right now? Is this announcement from the ECB evidence of that happening? That's a very important question. Because once we get to that point, it doesn't mean that central banks are going to stop what they have have found to, to be effective over the short term over the last you know 10 years. They're not going to stop QE or interest rate cuts or, or other easing policies. If anything, they're going to ramp them up to try and elicit a greater and greater response. You know, a great example in terms of easing or debt creation or credit creation would be China and what they're doing right now. Just in the last, uh, you know, couple months, uh, they've injected uh, or allowed the creation of a massive amount of credit within their economy, the most ever, in in hopes of of stimulating economic growth. And it remains to be seen how successful it will be. But my expectation is that they're going to find limited amount of success. And, and most importantly, they're going to find less success than they have in the past while having to use a greater amount of easing, a greater amount of credit to stimulate that growth. You know, in many ways, this this pushing on a string concept, this this idea of diminishing returns in terms of easier monetary policy from central banks, QE, interest rate cuts, etc., it, it it bears some resemblance to this Minsky curve that I talk about, how how debt creation, especially early on when, when debt levels are low, can be very effective to drive economic growth over the short term. Maybe not over the long term, but over the short term. At healthy levels, it, it can be effective. But over time, as more and more debt accumulates, you need more and more debt to stimulate the same amount of economic growth. And eventually it gets to the point where more and more debt is damaging to the economy. Not just over the long term, that's always the case, but over the short term as well. And you got to wonder, is the same true for central banks? Will we, or have we gotten to a point where interest rate cuts, QE, etc., cetera, uh, are, are going to be damaging to the you know global economy? You know, another thing to keep in mind here, to, to consider here, is is you know if we can focus on the Fed in particular because they have been of all the these central banks really, uh, or at least of the Bank of Japan, ECB, and the Fed. You know of those three, the Fed has been the most successful at, at tightening. They, they've had a window of of time to tighten, partly because of Trump tax cuts, as well as as other you know just factors such as as lagging economic growth uh, worldwide. Uh, but they've been able to bring up their Fed funds rate to, I think right now, just shy of 2.5%. It's, I think, 225 to, to 2.5%. They've been able to do some QT, which means you know they've they've been able to unwind their balance sheet. Uh, nowhere near to, to where they should be. They're nowhere near normal in terms of interest rate policy or QE. 
uh, or, or the balance sheet, but but they've made some efforts. They've made more progress than other central banks have. And, and one of the arguments that many people talk about as to why uh, they've been raising rates so much is is to put some distance in between themselves where they're at and uh, where they potentially might have to move, which would be zero percent interest rates or or even negative. Right. Because, you know, the idea is that if we run into another recession, another financial crisis and they have to cut rates, well, if they want a a good response, if they want to have some ammo, I guess they need to raise rates far enough so that they can cut them far enough. But again, going back to diminishing returns, you know, conventional wisdom would dictate that, well, you know, if they cut them, whatever it was during the financial crisis, uh, four percent or five percent or something like that. Uh, if if they can get them up to three percent, you know they can have about three fifths of the stimulus that they had before. But again, going back to diminishing returns, is that necessarily going to be the case? And, and it gets a little more difficult with with interest rates versus something like QE, uh, which I think that's definitely going to be the case. But even with interest rates, that you got to ask yourselves: Are they going to get three fifths or, or or half as much of of stimulus uh, moving from where they are now to zero? Or is it going to be more like one-fifth or one-tenth of the amount of stimulus because of the higher amounts of debt that we have today? Or or who knows? You know, Maybe cutting interest rates will have a larger response. But QE, you know, at the end of the day, whatever they're cutting, 25 to 3%, is not going to be enough, right? Because I think this next recession, I mean, the trend is certainly that recessions are getting worse and worse or depressions or financial crises or whatever you want to call them. They're getting worse and worse. This next one is likely going to be far worse than the last one. And, and certainly two and a half to zero is not going to be enough. They're going to have to go negative or, and and I guess I should say, and or, they're going to have to do a large amount of QE. And again, this goes back to diminishing returns. Last time they, they raised the, they increased their balance sheet by, uh, you know, I think it was just shy of maybe four trillion. I don't know the exact amount. Uh, but again, diminishing returns, pushing on a string, four trillion this time around is not going to elicit the same response to the economy. They're going to have to use larger amounts of stimulus and they're going to have to use it over a shorter amount of time, right? I mean, remember that $4 trillion or whatever the final amount was, that was over a time period from like, what, 2008 or 2009 till uh, I think 2013. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. From like, what, 2008 or 2009 till uh, I think 2013 or 14. Right, they, they they very well could do four trillion dollars worth of QE in like a two year time period, a one year time period, in order to try and stave all this off this collapse. But eventually, it all is going to end the same. They're going to find themselves pushing on a string, and and they're going to find other ways to 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 try and and move the other end of the string that they're pushing on. Right, they're going to begin to buy other forms of debt beyond treasuries or beyond mortgage backed securities. They're going to find you know corporate debt to buy up. Or they're going to find other consumer debt to buy up, right? They're they're going to potentially try and deliver uh, QE for the people, right? Helicopter money, not just send a check to to everyone, right? Uh, not, not unlike the stimulus program, except uh, this time around, instead of just monetizing that debt, they're they're going to do away with the whole idea of 
the U.S. having to take out, uh, you know, uh, stimulus uh, or, or debt for that stimulus, and then and then the Fed buying those bonds. No, this time around they're just going to do it right away, or or maybe they'll make a move like other central banks or, or or sovereign wealth funds have, you know, such as like the Bank of Japan, a central bank that buys ETFs, buys equities. You know, maybe the Fed's going to do that to try and prop up the markets. But again, whether it's a year from now, five years from now, whatever, they're going to find themselves pushing on a string, a, a world of diminishing returns. And this isn't to say that their first round of, of major response to the next recession, whether we're talking about the Fed, the ECB, the People's Bank of China, which we're already kind of seeing right now, or the Bank of Japan or whatever, central bank, that is not going to have any effect or that it's going to create more uh, economic slowdown over the short term. That's not necessarily what I'm saying here. The very first, you know, interest rate cut by the Fed, round of QE, etc., that might stimulate the economy. But what I'm saying is it's going to be less stimulative than past rounds of easing. They're going to need more and more. And what's the end result of this going to be? Well, it's going to be inflation. And yet, going back to what I said earlier, does that mean the Fed's going to shy away from using these tools? No. Their prescription is going to be more, right? If you're a hammer, you know, everything looks like a nail, and that's what they're going to use. They're going to use these same tools or they're going to add other ones, but they're all going to be stimulative, right? Always moving in an easier path or an easing path, right? Because ultimately this goes back to something I've talked about for a long time now that the Fed, uh, as well as other central banks, they're, they're going to choose to, I guess you could say, sacrifice their currency, the strength of their currency in order to try and prop up other markets, whether that's the economy as a whole or the stock market or the real estate market, but they're going to try and use their tools to achieve those means. But in the end, the stock markets, the bond markets, the real estate markets, the economy as a whole, in many ways, the political system, the relative geopolitical stability that we have today. I mean, it's hardly stable. It could be much, much worse though. A lot of that is dependent on a stable currency. And if you take out, you know, if you kick that leg out, I mean, it's like a, what, a, a three-legged stool. Uh, how, how good is that stool going to stand up once you kick one of those legs out? The dollar, right? It's not, it's not going to be very stable at all. Uh, and and, and uh, w- with the dollar failing, you'll see the economy fail as well, or the stock market or all the above. And this stool is going to be crashing to the floor, uh, you know, pretty quickly there. And so that's the scenario that we're going to be in, I think, in the future. So again, uh, this stimulus from China. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of months uh, we start to see more and more reports of, hey, things are turning around in China. What do you know? Maybe we'll see that in, in the EU as well to some extent. Maybe, you know, it'll help pull Italy out of their, their recession they're in right now. Help Germany avoid a recession, right? Help stuff over the short term. But the response, the economic response, the stimulus that, that they're seeking, they're just not going to get. It's going to be a, a world of diminishing returns and increasing effort to stimulate economic growth. They're going to find themselves pushing on a string. And that other end of that string is not going to move, right? It's going to go from what what it was maybe back in 2008, more similar to them pushing on a, on a stiff wire where the other end moves when you push one end to themselves, you know, find themselves pushing on a, a string where the other end uh, being economic growth, stock market, et cetera, doesn't move. And the end result of it is going to be inflation, right? It's going to be, uh, 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 you know, more wealth inequality. It's going to be ultimately, you know, more 
uh, distrust of, of governments, of central banks, more uh, societal upheaval, unpopularity, etc. Um, and, and that's uh, not a world central banks, I don't, uh, any of us want to find ourselves in. And yet that's what I think we're headed for. So again, this goes back to, you know, how can you prepare yourselves for that? I mean, I think the number one way you can prepare yourself is, no, I'm not going to say precious metals. I'm not going to say financial or anything. No, the number one way you can prepare yourself is to buy my new book. No, that's that's not it either. I don't have a book for you to read, uh, uh, at least on this topic. No, what I'm talking about here is mental preparation. The number one thing you can do is prepare yourselves mentally for this. And, and yeah, part of that is knowledge-based. You know, Understand uh, the currency system, central banks, understand a bit of the history. You don't have to, to take out a degree in economic history or economics or anything like that. But no, that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it is, expect for this to happen so that when everybody else is running around like a chicken with their head cut off because they lost their job, they lost their house, they lost their retirement, their portfolio is down 50%. Uh, uh, the price of, of consumer goods is going up 50%. Uh, you can, you know, maybe be panicking a little bit, but, but again, not running around with like, like a chicken with, with your head cut off. And, and then all these other things come into play financial preparedness, right? Whether that's precious metals or other means, right? Certainly I'm a fan of precious metals, but, but you can do your own research on it. You can check out my videos and many others on that topic and others. Uh, but, but then there's other types of preparedness as well. Uh, you know, depending on how bad things get, you got to consider things like food, water, shelter, fuel, ammo, uh, and a community to survive within, right? Don't don't try and lone wolf it, right? Whether that's your family, your your close family, your extended family, your neighborhood, a prepping community, a militia—I don't know what the situation is for you—but but some sort of a community, a network to to help uh, share the burden, both both emotionally, mentally, and and in terms of physical terms. Uh, obviously, people you trust, people that are like-minded. But, but that's really what it comes down to. Now, obviously, there's other ways we can try and, and, and influence how this ends, right? We, we can conduct this monetary revolution I talk about. We can vote. We can vote with our money. We can vote in the ballot boxes, etc. But I, I tend to be a little cynical about the effectiveness in the, of that in the end. We, we can maybe do some things, but, but ultimately, in the end, uh, I'm not saying don't engage in political discourse, that's not what I'm saying at all. I think rational political discourse is, is great, both for you and, and for the country. But in the end, control what you can control, meaning yourself and your family and your friends. Prepare mentally, physically, uh, 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 financially, etc. And, and you know, in the end, a successful end to this is, is for you personally you know, you have to figure out what that means. Does that mean making through this, uh, uh, surviving in the first place or, or surviving well financially or maybe profiting significantly financially, right? And what does this mean for your family, right? Do you want your family on the streets? Do you, do you, do you want them to be you know, relatively comfortable? Maybe not all the amenities of modern society, but have a roof over their house, uh, you know, three square meals, uh, uh, et cetera. What is success, you know, moving into this next uh, collapse. That's that's something to, to think about as well. So some things to think about. But but again, I, I think we've seen how this story ends. 
uh, or certainly we, we can surmise how it's going to end. I, I shouldn't say we see how it ends because there's similarities in the past, but, but really central bank policy that we've seen over the last 10 years is unprecedented. I'd say probably in global history because we've never had a financial system that is as globalized and as digitalized, et cetera, as it is today. But some things always kind of remain true. And that is, you know, things like fiat currencies, they always inflate. They always eventually die the same death, right? The same devaluation, uh, 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 empires, they rise, they fall their, their rise and fall oftentimes mirror each other, etc. So we kind of have an idea of how this is going to end. We just don't have all the details. We got the outline of this book, the table of contents. We just don't have, uh, all of the text quite yet, but there's still time to, to prepare. And, and that's something you can count yourself, uh, fortunate as, unless you're watching this video, you know, listen to this podcast five years in the future. And, 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 and this is played out and, and you're just watching this for, uh, I don't know, because you, you uh, <laughs> just happen to be recommended it on YouTube or something. But anyways, I'm rambling here. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you guys have ideas for topics in the future, questions that you want answered, let me know down below in the comment section. As always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.